Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Well, good morning, everyone. At this time, uh, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our three to five-year-olds. So three to five-year-olds, if y'all can head over to your classroom, that'd be great. And for everyone else, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Jonah chapter one is where we're going to be. Jonah chapter one. Uh, go ahead and grab those and uh, <clears throat> we'll dive into this. This is a new series that we began last week. Uh, and and uh, Sorry, my sons are fighting in the back right now, so that's always good. <laughs> Um, we're talking about rebellious prophets, and so this is great. Uh, not saying that they're prophets, but they're definitely rebellious right now. Um, but anyways, good morning, everyone. I'm just going to start over with that. Uh, Jonah 1. Josh kicked this off last week with us covering the first couple of verses. And uh, I think Jonah is a book that, that a lot of times, I think a lot of us know about it, know a lot about it as far as just kind of the general high points of it. you got a prophet who... Uh, gets swallowed by a fish, gets delivered from that, preaches to some people, they repent, and, and then the life just kind of continues on. Like that's kind of the general idea that we have around this. And, and really most people just focus on the big fish and Jonah being swallowed by it. That's kind of the main thing that people take away from, from this book. And, and I think because of that, it's widely misunderstood in what the story is actually about. And so that's one of the reasons why we wanted to dive into this book was not only uh, because it is a very wide known uh, book and, and truths that come from this, but I think they're also misunderstood. And I think it, it allows us to be, to be able to see really some characteristics of God and His grace and His mercy uh, that He does despite us. Uh, despite what we're choosing to do in our life or, or maybe where we're uh, actively and, and rebelliously running from God in different ways, um, or even if we're kind of collateral damage uh, in the story of what God is doing in the world around us, there's so many beautiful truths that we see that just highlight the goodness and the graciousness and the mercy of God in this book. And so that's, that's one of the things that I love about this book as we continue to uh, walk through this over the next few weeks. And so today is going to be very similar. Today is going to be a, a day in which even though we're seeing the, the, the beginnings of the fleeing of Jonah from the Lord's face, what we're really going to be able to see in this is, is again, the character of God and the mercy of God, even in a moment where, where we may just be outright rebellious uh, towards him and towards his plans and, and what he has called us to. And, and so I want to first kind of ask this question to, to kick it off. Have you ever played hide and go seek with kids before? Yeah, it, it's, if you've ever played hide and go seek with kids, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I've, I, I play, I've got three boys, six, four, and 19 months, and uh, we, we play hide and go seek. They, they would play all the time if we could, but uh, we probably play once or twice a week. And, and as I'm kind of, you know, sitting on the couch counting, I mean, I can literally hear the debris trail that they're leading wherever they're going to actually hide. And so all I got to do is just open my eyes up and just follow the, deb the debris trail. But even then, once I find where they're at, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it, it might be a head that's buried in a drawer, but the entire body is just sitting outside of it. Um, it might be them, you know, under a blanket, but the feet are hanging out the side. Or, or the best is my 19-month-old, uh, who literally just does this. I mean, he could just be standing in the middle of a hallway, and he's just like, if I can't see Daddy, Daddy can't see me. Like, that's what he's thinking. And so this is where we kind of find ourselves with Jonah in this story, is he's just playing this cosmic, just hide-and-go-seek with the Lord. Um, and, and almost to the point where... I don't know that he thinks the Lord's even going to come after me. But, but I'm going to go hide. I'm going to go hide. And, and we don't really know why yet. We don't really know why Jonah decides to hide. And 
And, and I think that's, again, I'm going to leave you with that today. I'm not going to give you the reason today of why he goes and hides. That, that does come in the weeks to come. And so it's kind of like a movie trailer. Well, like you got to come back in order to get that. Uh, so that's how we keep you coming back for more. Um, but, but this really is a silly scenario that I believe Jonah finds himself in. And I'm wanting you to see is there's really no place on earth where you can flee God's presence. That's going to be one of the big ideas. There's no place on earth that you can flee God's presence. And the good news in that, there's no place on earth where you can flee where God's mercy is also in that place and presence. And that's what we're going to see today. It reminds me of what David preaches in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, where he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I make, or if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, which is ironic with the story of Jonah, your right, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So, and, and one of the things I love about this with David is there, we do know there are moments where David is crying out, where are you, Lord? Like, like, I feel like you are distant. I feel like you are far. I feel like you are not near. But at the same time, he's preaching to his own soul. Where can I go where your presence is not there in its fullness and in its entirety? And that's what we're going to see today with Jonah, is that we can't flee from God's presence. It's when we believe that God is distant, that God is far, that God is not with us. That we can run from him or hide or, or that he can't see something. It's then and there where we make some of the most foolish decisions in our life. This is true. It's when we believe the lie that God is distant. Is when we make some of the most foolish decisions in our life. So let's dive into Jonah 1. Again, Josh covered the first two verses last week, so I'm not gonna I'm gonna reread them, but I'm not going to necessarily preach on them. Jonah one, one through three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I just want to stop there as we, as we slowly unpack this story from the Lord. Who's Jonah again? Like For those who don't know, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet of God. All right, so the way it worked back then was God would call prophets and he would call prophets to be the mouthpieces or the ambassadors of the Lord in order to speak to the people, to give them truths. And these truths would help them guide their lives. It would help them uh, repent of what they needed to repent and trust in what they needed to trust and live the way that they needed to live. This was what God called prophets to do. And Jonah is a prophet who is called to do this, to be an ambassador of the Lord, to be, to be a mouthpiece of the Lord. This is who he is. And so what did Jonah do? Well, he gets this word from the Lord to go and arise and go to Nineveh. And yet, what did he do? Well, he, he did get up. He, he did arise and he packed his bags. But instead of going to Nineveh, he heads to Joppa. He buys a carnival cruise ticket and he jumps on the ship and he starts heading to Tarshish. And what do we know about Tarshish? Was it just kind of like a pit stop on the way? Can we give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he wanted to see some sightseeing on his way to Nineveh? Maybe he wanted to take like a little vacation. Maybe he wanted to go the scenic route in order to get there. Well, if you know anything on the geographical location, in the known ancient world at this time, 
Tarshish is completely on the opposite side of the known world of where Nineveh is. So he's not going the scenic route. He's not going to sightsee. He's not going on a vacation. He's literally arising, packing his bags, buying a ticket and saying, Lord, I'm going the opposite direction of what you just called me to. I'm, I'm, I want, I'm so against this idea of Nineveh that we'll get to in a little bit. I'm so against it that I'm going to the completely opposite route. This would be like there's a part in Acts where the Lord tells one of the deacons, Philip, to just go south. I mean, he doesn't give him a destination. He just says, hey, just get up and go south. This would be like him waking up and saying, I'm just going to go north. I'm just going to directly disobey what you've called me to do. And one of the immediate questions again, arising is, is why would he do this? Why would he do this? I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Like, did Nineveh shut out Israel in like a former Super Bowl at some point? Like, like why would he do this? Does he just hate them? Does he, again, I'm not going to give you the answer for that one. It's in the weeks to come. But one of the points that I do want to make, and this is the first point for us today, is God is calling you every day to challenging acts of obedience. Like, like for Jonah, what we know coming up, this is a challenging act of obedience for him. It's not something he wants to do. And I think for us, again, the first point to draw out of this passage is that God is going to call us to challenging acts of obedience. Like I, I remember when, when I was kind of coming into uh, Christianity as like a middle schooler, high schooler, and I was learning and, and I was growing. And, and at that time, like just different uh, pastors and preachers who would preach about Christianity. I mean, like they wrapped it up as if it was this, this mountaintop, beautiful, wonderful experience that right now your life as a sinner is terrible and all the decisions you make are bad and everything's going to go bad for you. But if you come to Christ and you come into Christianity, your life is going to be awesome. And it's going to solve all of your problems and it's going to allow you to live on this mountaintop experience for the rest of your life. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be like little baby cherubs fly around you at all times. Like there's always someone plucking a guitar in the background. Like it's, it's just this wonderful, beautiful experience. Now, for the soul, yes and amen, that that's where Christ brings us to. Like we find peace and we find rest and we find comfort in our soul, because we're forgiven of our sins. That caused really all that turmoil in our life. But, it does not make your life, and the experiences and circumstances that you walk in, it does not necessarily make them all rose petals, and wonderful, and glorious, and beautiful, and so forth. Like It, it is not an easy life. There's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to following Christ. I mean, you look at the first 12. Look at the first 12. Every single one of them died a martyr's death. Not glamorous. Not retiring, you know, with a house on the hill. Not retiring with a ton of money in the bank. Like it's, they, they did not go and just vacation for the majority of their life in the end. No, they, they were called to challenging acts of obedience. And this is one of those moments where Jonah is called to a challenging act of obedience. And, and then here's the thing too, is like, that sounds like, well, that, 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 that sounds daunting. That sounds not appealing. But what we know, again from scriptures, what we know is that when we say yes to what God has called us to, when we obey it, it is only in that obedience that we live life with joy. With joy. Even if sometimes there's grudging submission. Even if sometimes we're like, Lord, I, I don't want to go down this route. 
I don't want to uproot my family and move somewhere else. I don't want to share the gospel with this person. I don't want to do whatever it is. And if we stay in that train of thought or we stay in that act of disobedience, it begins to create, as we'll kind of see illustrated here in a moment, it creates storms within our soul. It creates unrest. It's only in the obedience that we actually find rest and joy and peace and comfort in what God promises us in His goodness and His grace. And what do I mean by call? To be called is, is again, simply this. Because I think sometimes when we say, like, we're called by God to go and do something, to, we're waiting for Him to, like, literally call us on our phone. Or we're waiting for him to have somebody come and tell us, the Lord gave me just a word, and I'm going to tell you that I think this is what you need to do. He's, he's calling you to go and do this. To, to be called is simply to obey all that God has commanded us to do in the Bible. Like, he's already called us by sending his word out. It's recorded. And his word is now transcending time and space and people in order to call them to himself to then also then be sent back out into the domain of darkness. That's one of the things I love about Colossians 1, is that it literally tells us He transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, and yet has then sent us back into the domain of darkness to continue to spread His light and to call people to Him. Like That's what ministry is. That's what the ministry of the saints is. That's what every single person in this room who live under the banner of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you are in the game. You're playing a part. That's actually that's what Josh covered last week. Like, like there is no one in this room who can say, I am a Christian, yet I'm not called to minister. I'm not called to preach the gospel. I'm not called to share the good news. I'm not called by God to be obedient to His Word and what He's commanded of me. Every single one of us fall in that category. To be disobedient to that call, to those commands that He has called us to do, to be disobedient would be to fall in line like what Jonah is doing here. So again, the first point that I want you to see is God calls His people to challenging acts of obedience. The second point I want you or I want to make is how God responds when we disobey to those calls. When we flee, as it says here, from the presence of the Lord. And actually in that can, can be translated from the face of the Lord. I mean, this is a guy who is speaking and, and this is kind of proverbially like he wasn't actually face to face with the Lord. But proverbially here, face to face with the Lord turns his face from the Lord. And goes the other way. Flees from the presence of the Lord. The second point I want you to see is God acts mercifully when his people respond to his call with disobedience. God acts mercifully. And this, this is what is kind of strange and mysterious. And it clues us in on the character of God. So Jonah pays the fare. He hops on again the the ship here, the carnival cruise to Tarshish, and, and look at what happens in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So the first thing that we see is God's response to Jonah's attempts to flee from the presence of the Lord. It ends up being this epic fail on Jonah's behalf. Like, the, the ship didn't just happened to come upon some choppy waters. All right, like it didn't just set sail. And, and, and before we moved here, uh, we were in Miami planting a church for two years down there. And, and we had a you know, great idea to go deep sea fishing at one point. And I am, uh, I, I am very aware of my um, equilibrium failures <laughs> when it comes to deep sea fishing now. Uh, we, we were like 15 minutes, as soon as dry land disappeared, for the next five to six hours, I'm just painting the side of this boat that we're on. 
I mean, one of the most miserable moments. But yeah, this was a beautiful, glorious day. I mean, sun shining, beautiful. Josh was on the ship with me. And uh, beautiful, glorious day. And the waters, I mean, they were maybe saying were like four to six feet at, at that time, but like spaced out. And I'm thinking at that moment, this is the most miserable day of my life. Like, this is the worst possible thing. Like, so I'm imagining that in this story. And yet this story is way worse than what I imagined in my deep sea fishing adventures. That this storm comes that God hurled at them. All right. He hurled this storm at them. Now, make note here. These guys that. Well, first, let me back up. I want this to strengthen your theology. Nothing happens that the Lord does not ordain. Just period. Nothing happens that the Lord does not ordain, that the Lord doesn't plan, that the Lord doesn't purpose. If the, if the storm was a fraction less, the mariners that we'll see here in a moment would not be worried. And if it was a fraction more, worse, the ship would break apart. The Lord is sovereign over exactly what He is ordaining here and what He is purposing for these people that are on this ship. And that's something that we need to understand. It it kind of brings in this interesting relationship between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Where, who can you blame for the storm? Jonah, because he's fleeing from the Lord and so it's his sin. And also God, because it says he hurled the storm in there. It's this unique, mysterious relationship where even in our sinning, God is sovereign and can work with it and use it and ordain it and plan it and purpose it for his glory and our ultimate good. So we see here in verse 5, look at the reaction of the mariners as they find themselves in this mighty wind that has come upon them. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So these mariners were so afraid that they just started throwing everything overboard to save their own lives. Now make note here, these are not like butlers and musicians on the titanic like like these are trained mariners and sailors who know what they're doing and have come to the conclusion that preservation of life is their greatest commodity like like they've come to the conclusion that we need to do whatever we can in this scenario to save our lives so let's start hurling everything off the boat just get rid of everything And let's just start crying out to any and every God possible. And we'll see why here in a moment. They find themselves in a dangerous situation. And we see the response of God towards Jonah. By again hurling this great wind and storm. And we see the response of these mariners who are hurling all of the cargo overboard. There's a lot of hurling that's going to be going on here. All right. And where is Jonah? Look at the end of verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now, I I didn't dig deep enough to find out if Jonah was married and had kids or not. Uh, I mean, there's some people who kind of uh, have points on either side of the coin there. Uh, But he has to be a father. The only reason why I say he has to be a father is because this guy can literally sleep through anything. All right? He can just sleep through anything. We're talking a storm where you've got mariners and sailors running around amok just trying to figure out how can they save their souls? How can they save their lives here? And he's asleep. I mean, that blows my mind. The condition of Jonah's heart. I mean, this actually is one of the first moments where we can now start to picture 
why Jonah is actually fleeing in the first place. And what we're seeing here is just how apathetic this guy is. How apathetic he is that, yes, he's fleeing from the Lord, which is going to harden his heart a little bit. He also um, apparently has a hardened heart towards Nineveh because that's one of the reasons why he doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to be around them. And then here finds himself in a situation where everyone around him are literally crying out for their lives. And he doesn't have a care in the world about it. He could care less if it goes down. It shows us the condition of Jonah's heart. It's revealing for us layer by layer the apathy that he has. And that while he's fleeing from the Lord, he also has no concern for their lives. And that they're in danger on this ship. And you know what? The captain is just not going to have it. He's not going to have it. Look at verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, and perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. What do you mean, you sleeper? I I think he's being a little too nice there. I I might have some different words uh, for Jonah if I found myself in this scenario. It might be a little harsher. But he's, what are you doing, man? Like, what are you doing right now? Like, get up and call out to your God. Like, look around right now. See, see the seriousness of the situation that we have found ourselves in. I mean, the captain is literally yelling for Jonah to call out to his God. And which, isn't that a little ironic? That you've got this pagan captain full of pagan mariners all around them. And what they are turning to is actually kind of evangelism here. They're now turning to, hey, we can't figure this out ourselves. we got to get to something beyond ourselves. Maybe there's a God out there that could work for us in this moment. And so maybe we need to pray to Him. Maybe we need to do some work of prayer here. This non-believing captain now believes that his only hope is prayer. And we then see the reactions of some of the rest of the mariners in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said, which, imagine that. I mean, obviously it's going to fall on him. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So what's happening here is the mariners cast lots. And if you remember when Jesus was being crucified, the soldiers around him were casting lots to determine who would get his garments. This was a way in which uh, they would determine things in this day and age. They would just cast lots. almost just kind of like game. In our world, did anyone have like the magic eight ball when you were a kid? Or you just shake it up and you're like, all right, should I, uh, should I eat this last piece of chocolate? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. All right. Should I date this person? Probably not. Like, we would do those things back in the day, all right? This is kind of their way of just leaving it to chance, determining something that they could not necessarily determine themselves. And so they would cast lots and whoever to find out who was responsible for this storm. And you might, not, you, you might say, in regards to that, how did the Lord allow the lot to fall on Jonah? Like, it seems like they're trying to leave this up to chance. Like, how does God work with chance? In figuring this out. Well again. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Proverbs 16.33 puts it this way. And it just lays it out exactly. The lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision. Is from the Lord. So, so n- nothing is left to chance. Absolutely nothing. Is left to chance. There is, there is no stone unturned that the Lord does not ordain. There is nothing outside of the sovereignty of God. What that does for us 
is that provides for us ah, deep sighs of relief. That even in our disobedience and the damage that comes from our disobedience, it does not thwart the plans of God and what he has ordained and what he is going to ultimately see come to completion. Now, might there be some better ways to get there? Absolutely. Obedience to the Lord is always going to be the best route to get to what God has ordained for your life. But it doesn't mean that God can't use your disobedience and the evil and the sin that comes with that in order to work it to still come about what He has ordained. That's sovereignty. And that's a God that we can trust in. That he's good and that he's gracious and that he's merciful and that he's in control. And that he's not running around trying to figure out how am I going to work this? How am I going to solve this? I did not expect Jonah to head to Tarshish. So how am I going to get him back? God is never sweating. Never. He's never concerned How am I going to get this back on track? He ordains everything. So the mariners, after seeing the lot fall on Jonah, they begin grilling him with all of these questions. They need answers for why they're in the dire circumstances that they're in. And Jonah begins to tell them. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Oh, okay, Jonah. Now you're going to be an evangelist? Now you're going to... Start sharing about the goodness of God who made the seas and the dry land. That's what we think when we see this, but how hollow were Jonah's words right here? Like I think about those times I've done something incredibly stupid and then someone asked me, aren't you a Christian? And I'm like, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus and and I, I go to this church and and there's just those moments where I've like, I've just done something stupid and now I'm trying to kind of explain surface level. Well, I, I am on Team Jesus. And I really believe, I guess where Jonah's landing here. I mean, we got to still remember this dude's apathetic. He's just given just barely some points of interest to them when it comes to where he lands. There's been too many of those moments. But with Jonah... And the mariners didn't know was that God was going to act mercifully even though Jonah responded to God's call with disobedience. Look at it in verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, many theologians at this point believe this is Jonah starting to repent. That he's starting to take ownership of his actions. But it's not true. It's not true. What what he's actually saying here is, I'd rather die. I, I would just rather die. Than one, have to deal with my fleeing from the Lord, having to deal with going and doing the call to Nineveh. I'd rather just die. Just throw me over And the collateral damage of my sin will take care of this. The sea will calm. And then I can just end this whole thing. There's a lot of hurling going on here. But Jonah is saying, throw me into the sea and it will quiet down. Because this is my fault. There's some deep theological waters here. No pun intended. But those two things are working together here where we see the consequences of his actions, the sea, but we also see the sovereignty of the Lord. Again, this is not out of his control. And he's still going to use even the decisions that Jonah is making here to still exact what he is wanting to happen. But something kind of interesting happens first, where these men, these mariners, they don't listen to Jonah. And I would actually say, even though they are not, like, they're, they're pagans here, they, they're not God-fearing in the sense that they're saying to pray to any and every God possible. I still believe these mariners, from a character standpoint, are better men than Jonah. Better men than Jonah. 
Jonah's office, and this is important for us. This is important for every single person in this room. Jonah's office does not determine his character. Okay? Like Jonah's office does not determine his character. We're seeing here that he has character flaws as we see what these men do. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. The mariners here are better men than Jonah, yet even their attempts to save his life and theirs is still not working. No matter what we do at times, when we try to take things into our own hands, and we try to fix things ourselves, we try to row our own lives, God is still going to do what God is going to do. He's going to do what he's going to do. And these men just, they all had to learn the hard way. They're rowing against the current of God's ordered and ordained and purposed plan here. I think this causes us at times to maybe question God. When we're rowing and we're rowing and we're rowing and we're wondering, why hasn't anything changed? Why hasn't God answered? And we just keep going and going and going. And it's because we got to realize that there needs to come a time for sacrifice. There has to come a time for sacrifice. There has to come a time of submission. There has to come a time where we're laying something down in order for God to receive it and then take upon himself what needs to happen, what change needs to happen. And what we're about to see here is Jonah does become this sacrifice from these mariners. The storm's getting more and more tempestuous against them, and then just an amazing thing happens in verse 14. Therefore they, the mariners, called out to the Lord. They finally got it right this time. They were calling out to any and every God. They finally get it right this time. They called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it or have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Minutes earlier, these brothers had been calling on their gods to save them. And their condition continued to worsen. And here, these sailors pray one of the most theologically rich prayers you could ever imagine. They finally get it right. For pagan sailors faced with imminent mortality, what do they pray here? Well, they, they pray for deliverance. Like, like they pray for deliverance. They ask for forgiveness for what they're about to do here because they consider Jonah an innocent man. They think he's an innocent man. And then they acknowledge God's sovereignty and control over all things. I mean, like, I, I hope we pray this prayer. Like, I hope for every single one of us, this is a daily prayer of ours, that we are praying for deliverance. That we're praying for deliverance for the Lord to come into our lives and to save us. And that He would not hold us accountable for the sins that we've committed and the things that we've done wrong. That we're praying for forgiveness. And so they hurled Jonah into the sea and it says it ceased from raging. The second they let one man's sacrifice become payment for the wrath of those waves, they were saved. You can start to see some illustrations here of a great event that happened in our history. Interestingly, this is what happens next is it says they feared the Lord exceedingly. Like they offered a sacrifice, they made vows, And you know what happened? What happened after the sea ceased from raging? 
they finally realized that they were going to be saved, they worshipped. They worshipped. They, they, they held a church service, if you will. Like They did what we are doing right now. They came to God and they worshipped Him because God delivered them of their sin and brought them into calm waters. And in that moment, they began worshipping because they had been delivered from death by the sacrifice of one man. Is it not God's will for all of us to be like these mariners? Honestly, my hope and prayer is, is not that we are more like Jonah by the end of this book, but that we're actually more like these mariners, more like these sailors. That we see that all of our own efforts to try and save ourselves are futile and ineffective. But the sacrifice of one man, Jesus Christ, is what delivers us from the wrath of God. That's what they're coming to understand. So the third thing I want you to see here is that God's greatest act of mercy is illustrated to us in the Old Testament by a rebel prophet. God's greatest act of mercy is illustrated to us in the Old Testament by a rebel prophet. Like That's phenomenal to me. That's amazing to me. And so a question I have for you this morning, where do you find yourself this morning with God? And maybe that's, Maybe that's broad. In what ways are you like Jonah? In what ways are you like Jonah? Like right now, are you just casually disobeying the Lord? Maybe some of you are are on your way to Joppa. You've got your bags packed. You're on your way to Joppa. You're heading to buy a ticket. You're still on dry land, but, but you've paid the fare. Maybe some of you, you, you've boarded the ship. You've left, you've left the port. You're in the waters. And you're still just walking down this direction. Maybe some of you honestly have just found yourself in an apathetic place where, where you're asleep. With no... No realization around you that there's an actual storm that you're in and that there's lives that are, that are on the verge of being lost all around you. I mean, I think this for, for us, we, this is the conversation we had at our community group this week was, like, are we just asleep? Are we just indifferent to the lostness that's around us? Because I think one of the questions was like, who... Who's an enemy in your life, essentially, that you're not willing to go and share the gospel with? Like Jonah to Nineveh. And for me, I think our, my greatest concern for our church is, is not that we visualize enemies that we don't want to share the gospel with, but that we're just indifferent to those passengers who are all around us. And we just don't have a care. We're just apathetic towards sharing with them some good news that will save their lives. That will save their lives. I'll eventually get around to it. You know. Those neighbors that live next to us. That have been there for a few years. Or you know the opportunity just hasn't presented itself yet. Maybe if they ever ask me a question. I notice. You know you seem to be a good person. Like what must I do to be saved? Like that question is just not going to come up to you. All right. Are we willing to go and make disciples? Or are we going to be apathetic like Jonah here? Maybe for some of us, we've, we've been thrown overboard from what we thought was a comfort. And are now we're in the sea and we're in the storm. And we're searching for a lifeline. Something to save us. Something to bring us back to the Lord. Something to deliver us. And where do we find ourselves in verse 17? It says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What we see in verse 17 is that God's mercy is always bigger than our sin. That's the character of God. God's mercy is always bigger than our sin. 
right now, in like in this moment, even if, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to harp on that idea of indifference because I really think that's where most of us are. It, it, we're, we're, it's not that we don't want to share the good news. It's just that it doesn't bother us enough. So we're willing to not share it. So we're just in that middle road. And I want you to hear that even in that act of disobedience, which is fleeing from the presence of the Lord, that you cannot outrun God running towards you. You cannot outrun the mercy of God as we are running, and I say run, we're just wallowing in our sin. In our disobedience. This is why Jonah 1 should be encouraging to us. Because God wasn't punishing Jonah. The storm was not a punishment. It's an act of mercy. Providing the means for his deliverance and for his repentance. This is not a story about a prophet. It's not a story about a stormy sea. It's not a story about these mariners. It's not a story about a big fish. It's the story about a merciful God who is sovereign and in control and plays out His plans with His own hands. Like bad things happen due to the consequences of our sins and actions, and yet those things are not outside of God's ordained plan and will. You cannot outsin his mercy. You cannot outsin his forgiveness. Your evil cannot thwart his will and his goodness. This is why I love in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says this of the story of Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it, the evil, for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I mean, think about that in in regards to this story here. Jonah and his disobedience is an evil. And that evil has the consequences and responsibility of, of the sin and the collateral damage that comes with that sin and the storm that comes with that sin where lives are threatened. And all of them, what evil have you brought on this ship? Well, that storm was hurled by God. What they meant for evil, or what maybe Jonah meant for evil, God meant it for good. Because not only does it ultimately deliver Jonah from his rebellion, but it also delivered this entire ship of mariners from their pagan lifestyle to where they now know the good Lord. And they are now worshiping Him. So even in, this is where I know God has the whole thing rigged. Even in a prophet's rebellion and apathy and outright, I am not going to do what God wants me to do. Even in that moment, God's saying, I'm going to save them while I'm still dealing with you. That's incredible. That's incredible. And that... That Again, that gives me, and it should give you hope, that it's really hard for you to mess this up. Like it, Christianity, and the spread of the gospel, and the spread of the good news, the, the spread of Jesus, is really hard for you to mess it up. I, I, it's impossible for you to mess it up. God will... Move in your life, whether you are asleep in your disobedience or you are faithfully responding to Him in obedience. He's going to use both to exact what He wants to do. And that's good. 
And that is gracious. And what that actually does is, again, that does not lead you to be like, well, okay, cool, I'm just going to lead a life of disobedience. God's going to do what he wants to do. No, the more you understand this, this is those theological deep waters, the more you understand God's mercy towards you in your sin actually leads you to sin less and worship more and call out and, and respond in obedience to what he's doing. Because again, you know at the end of the day that that's going to be more joyful. Like that might have a less storm that I have to deal with. That might provide for me um, um, some, some greater peace and comfort and joy by seeing others around me getting to know the Lord and the gospel and all those good things. But at the end of the day, what we can rest in is knowing again that God is sovereign. And if you look at the story like Jonah and you say, I can't believe God would hurl a storm at these people, the better statement would be, I can't believe God would deliver these pagan mariners and also this rebellious prophet. Like, don't harp on the circumstances of life. Harp on the goodness and mercy of God towards us in those circumstances. And that He is delivering us. Nobody deserves it, and yet God freely gives it. And he ultimately gives it through his son, Jesus Christ. We see this in Matthew 12, 40. Jesus speaking, for, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish that we'll see next week, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The story's not about Jonah. It's about the goodness of our Savior. It's about the goodness of our Savior. And so as we come to this time of communion, as an act of mercy, God hurls His Son, Jesus, overboard from the comfort of heaven to enter the storm of our earth. And then He swallows Jesus up in death on a cross. And there He stays for three days and three nights in order for the seas of sin to be calmed around us. And for us to be delivered into God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. This story is not about the disobedient prophet Jonah. It's about the obedient prophet Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at